It felt like ripping my arm off without anesthesia. I thought, it's, it's, it's over, they're gonna kill it. They're gonna kill the business because they're fighting amongst themselves. This is my story and this is my understanding. I'm sure they have their side of the story, but this is what I know and this is what I remember. It's not unusual to interview a founder who has exited their business. What is unusual is to hear the story of a founder who exits, goes off and lives their life, and then comes back to save the brand they started, a reincarnation. This episode is all about second chances, a second chance with a business, but also to tell a story freely. This is Secret Leaders, and I'm Dan Murray-Serta. Renee Elliott launched Planet Organic in 1995. Two years later, her business partner decided they should part ways and threatened Renee with legal action if she didn't agree to being bought out. Renee refused. What followed was 14 months of litigation that culminated in a battle in the High Court. Renee won, and along with her husband Brian, who came on as managing director, took back control of the business. They ran it together for 10 years. Then, in 2009, they took a decision to step away from the business. With each child, you know, with the first one, with Jess, I'd take her in to the business. I'd be breastfeeding at board meetings, freaking all the, sh the male shareholders out. And But if you can do that anywhere, it's plenty yeah, organic. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, this is my company. I'm an entrepreneur. Then you have a second one. And I had, then, so then I had a three-year-old and an infant. And suddenly that's just not possible. So I stepped away from the business again a little bit. And then I had my third and it was like, oh, geez, I was, and I was so stressed. <laughs> I thought, oh my God, this is just impossible. I couldn't run the business with Brian and be the mother that I felt I should be with my children. So it was decision time. So I decided to raise my kids. With the shareholders, we hired a CEO to run Planet. And I didn't leave Planet. I'm still a shareholder, director, employee. But we stepped away to a very large degree. That was Renee talking to me back in June 2018, in the second season of Secret Leaders. We talked about why she started Planet Organic, her incredible legal fight with her co-founder, and how, after stepping back from the business, they'd moved to Italy for a number of years before coming back to the UK when Renee started Beluga Bean, a coaching and well-being business. A couple of months after that recording you just heard, Renee sold the majority of her stake in Planet Organic. She'd done it, achieved the entrepreneur's dream, built a business, sold it, and could now relax. But that's not the end of this tale. Because in May 2023, Renee made headlines when she led a bid to buy Planet Organic after it was announced the company was going into administration. So, I invited Renee back on. No holds barred. What happened? What I wasn't expecting is the story is both vastly different to what I'd previously thought and goes back much further. So, it was in... 2009. And what had happened is when my first partner tried to take Planet from me, we ended up in court. I brought shareholders in to buy him out. And that was not an easy journey. And after 10 years of Brian and I, my husband Brian and I running the company together, they, the shareholders at the time were 
you know, I this is my story and this is my understanding. I'm sure they have their side of the story, but this is what I know and this is what I remember. And they wanted planet for themselves. It was another person or group trying to um, take ownership of planet because they could see the potential and it's a beautiful business. And they had asked us to leave. They had made life difficult for us and it was getting very unpleasant. And then in 2009, they made Brian redundant and then they pushed me out. And I was on maternity leave with my third child and they didn't tell me what to say, but I had to sign a gag order and wasn't allowed to say what had happened because it was so awful. Um, So I had to mm, create a story that was believable to tell close friends because as you know me, Dan, I am pathologically honest. And I had to talk about something that was believable for me to even tell an, an, a non-truth. So I said, my story became, and I said this on your podcast, that it became very difficult to do to run the business and to have the three children. And I chose my family. And that became the story that I told. But I was pushed out of the business and nobody has known that until now. And then in, I was, I negotiated though, that I would still be, I was still a shareholder, that I would remain a director and that I would do two days a month. So there was a loose association with the business. And as a director, I was coming in and out of the business. And by 2016, there were three main shareholders. They had fallen out and it was deeply unpleasant. And there was a, there was a shareholder, there was a, it was a board meeting, sorry, in the fall of 2016, where I thought it's, it's, it's over. They're going to kill it. They're going to kill the business because they're fighting amongst themselves. So I came home and talked to Brian and I said, look, we have to do something. We have to either get them to sell or get them to agree for someone else to come in to break up that the, there were two shareholders who were agreeing and one who wasn't. So luckily they agreed to go on that journey. And that's when the VC came into Planet Organic in around 2017, but that process started in 2016. And again, people say that's when I sold. I I didn't, I wasn't a willing seller. I had to sell to bring the VC in who wanted over 50% and the shareholder who had been sort of uh, separated out from the other two had to sell his shareholding to leave. So that was in 2017. And again, that was so awful <laughs> the way they treated me that I had to sign another gag order and not talk about that. So Planet has run since then. Since the VC came in, the story I'm told, I mean, I was then reduced shareholding and not a director and not an employee. I was completely pushed out, except as a, I kept some of my shareholding. That's when I think the values started to slide and they started to lose the heart and soul of Planet, which should be the whole reason someone invests in a company and they keep those values. But we've all heard this story a million times before where that's not what they do. I think from the outside in, there's always been this kind of question of Planet Organic you know, appears nationally well-known, respected, um, successful. And here is a founder who the narrative is, 
they've exited Planet Organic and, you know, to some kind of consortium, it's maybe private equity, maybe it's venture capital, whatever the thing is, but she's exited. And so it must have done really well and she must have had a phenomenal financial exit that set herself up for life. And she's doing this like coaching business. Why? Why isn't she just retired and chilling? So, and, and obviously you can't talk about it. So, and obviously, you know, who on earth is nosy like that other than me? So I'm not saying that everyone thinks these things, but um, what was the reality? And people make assumptions all the time, which I yeah. always warn against. It's such a dangerous thing to do. So the reality was um, it wasn't a great price for my shares. And I... The, 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 there was a part of me that thought, oh, you know, I really, I didn't start Planet to make money, you know, and I've said this publicly many times. I created Planet to, the big goal was to, the mission is to promote health in the community and support the Earth's biodiversity. That was my grand mission to change the world in a positive way with my life. But the, this, the really um, personal, and selfish reason I started Planet was to have meaningful work to do for the rest of my life. And I've said that and people have said, well, then why did you leave? And now I can say, well, I didn't leave. Um, so, so when I was forced to leave and thought, geez, what do I do now? You know, I have to earn. I didn't walk away with gazillions. Um, what on earth am I going to do? It took me a while to figure that out. And we had been in Italy and we had come back in 2013. And that's when I just thought, well, I'll do what I love because Planet was amazing, but it was a roller coaster and it was very challenging because I've always had shareholders. And I thought I'll do something that is really about ease and joy and uses my skills. And that's when I started Beluga Bean, the business mentoring and personal coaching company to to earn money and to do work that I love and that's meaningful and that use everything I'd learned in my life to that point. Do you miss not having a proper, exciting, big, but stressful business and all these employees? Well, it's interesting because when I, when I, when I left, when I was pushed out in 2009, I was, it felt like ripping my arm off without anesthesia. I was, you know, Planet was my baby and I'd always said that. And when I left in 2009, Planet was 14 years old. So it was like leaving a 14-year-old when I wasn't ready to. So, and I had three children. I had a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old. So when I look back on it now, I think, wow, what a gift. We went to Italy. I raised my kids. I was very present. I wrote some books. Um, we had the Italian chapter, which was pastoral beauty and just a very sweet chapter in my marriage and with my children. And then we came back and I thought, okay, I'm not done yet. I'm, I, I think I was around 50 when we came back. And I thought, what am I going to do next? And it took a while. I, I tinkered around in different areas and thought, what do I love? What's sticking? And I found the work I'm doing now. And, and then I had thought, okay, well, I'm 59 this year, which is insane. And my husband's older and we talk about, are we going to retire? Are we ever going to retire? Because as you know, when you do work you love, you think maybe I'll just keep working until I keel over. 
And I had just reduced down to four days a week from January because I thought, okay, I love my work. I don't have to do it five days a week in terms of earnings. I can do four. I can start exploring. What else would I do? What would I do in spare time that I haven't had with my eldest just turning 21? You know, it's been kids and work. So I just reached this kind of really lovely spot in January where I was thinking, okay, four days a week. And I've raised my kids and my youngest is 15, so I'm not done yet, but they're really growing up and growing well. And talking about, you know, looking at your financial future, looking at how you spend your time. What else do you want to do with your life? What's on your bucket list? This is the the next chapter is kind of the last big chapter. So that's all been spinning around talking about that. And I'm really grateful. You know, I never regret anything because I believe that life unfolds as it should. So when I look back and think, huh, isn't that funny? I got pushed out at the time. It was incredibly painful for me, but it enabled me to raise my kids, do this new career. And I've done a lot of personal development and self-discovery over that time as well. I'm a different person. And I am freer now. You know, it's an interesting time in my life. I'm freer, I'm calmer, I'm wiser. So the events of the last few months are really interesting for me. I think one of the really interesting things that can hopefully inspire people there is you've had this unexpected opportunity to really invest in personal development and growth in a way that is so aligned with what the business and organic is going to need from you. Anyone that's listening knows this as a CEO. Mm. Being a CEO is an amazing growth opportunity in many ways, but it's it can be so busy <laughs> that you can totally forget to like consciously work on and develop some of the skills that you really need to. I, I love this idea of understanding that it's not really about what happened to you. It's about things unfolding exactly as they should and having a sort of self-acceptance and awareness of what that can actually mean for how you can probably show up and be a better CEO now as well, which, you know, I listen to and I find really like partly admirable. I I admire it. And then partly I'm just jealous. (laughs) Well, and that's what I coach about. So this is when I say I've focused on this, I've been learning, and this is the coaching I do with entrepreneurs, with small businesses, because I love the strategic planning, as you know, but There's no point doing that if you don't have the self-belief and the trust to let life unfold. Otherwise, you're in a constant state of anxiety or stress. So this really, I love this because a lot of people don't understand this. Totally. So you sold the business. Um, You're a small shareholder. You're living your life. You're doing your coaching. You're personally developing. Do you stay close to the business? Are you trying to like stay up to date with what's going on or are you kind of like, it's too difficult? Completely out of it. So when you said, was it, you also asked, what was it like to walk away from that? You know, Planet was big and lots of people and lots of processes. So I've been out of that for, it really feels like, because I kind of feel like I left in 2016, seven years I've been out. And um, it's a whole different world. You know, me, it was me and my business partner and my clients. And it's really, it's a nice tidy package and it's really calm and um, very different world from that. But I've you know, I've stopped reading the Soil Association organic update because I'm doing other things. I don't even look at the all I all I saw was an occasional shareholder update from Planet where I'd think, oh, okay, they're doing that. 
And um, other than that, no, I, I was looking in this direction and now I'm looking in a different direction, which is really about self-awareness. So about, I don't know what it was, maybe 18 months ago, I noticed Planet Organic suddenly doing a crowdfund, 30 million pound valuation. And did you know about the crowdfund? Because obviously it sucks for you because you weren't involved, but like a bunch of people will have lost their money. Yes. Well, people didn't lose on the crowdfund because they gave it back. I didn't know that. Okay. That's great. I, I really didn't pay attention to it. My husband would read the documents. Mm. I don't even think they send them to me. They'd never even send me the shareholder update. It would go to Brian and he'd say, oh, I've had a, they're going to raise money and open 50 stores. And I said, what? So this is what happened about a year ago. They hired a new CEO who came in and said, I'm going to, you know, big plans going to do this, open 50 stores, central warehouse. And all I can see is like cartoon pound signs in their eyeballs, imagining that. So they went with this CEO um, and embarked on that course of action. And I, I wasn't even paying attention to the, the detail of the raise last year, but I knew there, there were many things going on. And what I heard is that they had a valuation of $35 million last December, and on the back of that, they raised $6 million, not from the crowdfund. But that was kind of the last I heard. And then I heard they were opening 100 stores. And I was like, what? You can't. It's not that kind. It's not the model. So a good question that you might or might not know is where did all that money go? The $6 million. So that I heard in December. And then in January, February, March, they opened two stores in dumb locations, Henley and Teddington. It's like all the market research we'd ever done would have never led you to those locations. And they had a, now I don't know everything. I know what I've learned since then. They had a very big head office function to take it to 50 stores. So they were sucking money into head office. And the central warehouse was not cheap. So I think it was expensive mistakes, um, greedy decisions. I don't know everything that happened, but I think that's what happened in a very short space of time. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. 
This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Okay, so stick in the time machine. It's March the 30th. This year, 2023, (laughs) came to that day. What happens? So I'd had some clients and it was the afternoon and my mobile rang and it was the then CEO of Planet. And I picked up the phone and he said, Renee, look, just giving you the heads up in 30 minutes, we're giving notice of administration, just letting you know so you can tell your friends and family before we give notice that they've lost everything. And I thought, wait, what? (laughs) I couldn't even compute. I wasn't even sure what notice of administration meant. Um, so I, I, I didn't even ask anything. I was just so in such a muddle. So I put the phone down and talked to my husband. I had other clients to deal with and then something that evening. And then we got up the next morning and I said, okay, what does this mean? And we sat and talked about it and realized that we'd lost the bit that the chunk that we thought would, you know, be for the children (laughs) that we hadn't made yet from planet gone. And my family and friends, I had to call everyone and say, look, I'm really sorry, but they've given notice of administration and said that we have two weeks to find a buyer or planet goes under and 14 stores close and 260 people lose their jobs and it's gone. And they managed to, in a year, kill what has been running for 27 years. So I quickly got over the loss of that we had suffered the financial loss because I'm, I'm a fatalist. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'll figure something else out. And um, it's happening. And we decided to rescue Planet. And we kind of kicked into gear with that um, on the Saturday. I think Friday was a heavy work day. So Saturday we got up and said, okay, what's the plan? What was the plan? The first thing. So I thought three things. I thought, one, I'm going to get a team together, trusting that the team who'd been managing it would leave because they had caused the demise, even though that wasn't what was being said. What what they were saying was the recession, the war in Ukraine, all kinds of external events. And I was like, what? And I thought, I just knew the underlying business would be strong. I couldn't see how that had suddenly just fallen apart. And we did prove that to ourselves in the data room a couple of weeks later. Um, So I thought, I need a buyer, I need a team, and I can help fundraise. So I immediately called Peter Marsh, who had been the CEO. He was let go a year before when the new guy came in. I called him up and said, Peter, would you, we got on a Zoom call. I said, I know you're doing something else, but would you come back to Planet? 
and help if I can find a buyer. And he said, Renee, I'd do anything for Planet Organic. And then I called Al Overton, who was the buyer I hired 19 years ago. He worked on the shop floor. He's been the buying, he was the buying director when he left about a year ago as well. Then I called him and I said, would you come back? I need a team if I can find a buyer. And he said, Renee, I'd do anything for Planet Organic. And I said, that's funny. Peter just said that. So I thought, okay, I've got a team. You know, they, they're it and they know the team really well at Planet. And then we set about just calling everyone we knew for a private buyer. I called friends I knew. I called adjacent businesses where I thought someone might be interested. And it was absolutely insane two weeks of not really understanding what was happening. So it seemed as if every day the goalposts would change. The administrators would say, oh, this is going to happen. Oh, no, that's not going to happen. The next day they'd say, oh, no, this is going to happen. And having never gone through the process and relying on them, it was just wild. It was like a wild roller coaster where I thought I was going to be flung out any minute talking to potential investors. And then somewhere in that process, we found someone we thought was a good idea. He seemed really cool and young and great ideas. And then I was talking to a potential buyer who I knew I've known for years. And on the phone call, he said, Renee, why aren't you buying it? And, and I kind of went, oh, no, me, no. Well, first of all, I said, I've just lost a ton of money and I'm a coach, you know, I'm not, I'm not a retailer anymore. I've moved on. And, um, and then he said, well, what if you had the money? And there were four of us on a Zoom call. And I just, I, I stopped. I absolutely stopped. And I, I think I closed my eyes and I thought, and I tried to imagine myself back in Planet after really 14 years of not being intimately involved with it. And I opened my eyes and I, I said, well, when you put it that way, yeah, I would buy it. And I said, are you offering to back me? And he said, no. He said, but why should I buy it if you're not prepared to buy it? And I thought, oh, good question. Um, so then the next morning we talked to the, this potential buyer we were backing and I'd said, you know, here's a team and do you need help raising finance? And the person I'd spoke to the previous night about potentially buying it had emailed and said, look, we're not going to buy it. We just don't have any retail experience, too big a risk for us. But um, I then emailed him in the morning and said, look, I, I think I'm going to lead a bid. We have a little bit of cash. And if I lead and I'm, I'm looking for bids, would you put in, I'm looking for, we were looking for about 1.5 million, 250 to half a million. And over the morning, while I was on the phone with this other potential purchaser, he emailed in about four emails and came through finally with, we'll, we'll do the 1.5 million. So I was like, oh my God, okay. But we were still talking to this other potential buyer who I thought was a really good bet. And I still was like, mm, terrifying to think of going back in. So Brian and I talked about it because bids had to be in the next day at four. And we talked about it. And I said, if we risk derailing this other guy because he he's ready to go. So we decided not to put our bid in. And then, so bids went in Thursday at four. And then I got up the next morning and I was in tears. And Brian said, you know, we, I came down for coffee and I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. he said, what's wrong? And I said, it, I, I, I think we have to go for it because we risk the current bidder not bidding enough 
because we'd also heard from the administrator, he wasn't bidding enough. And we'd heard that there were two other people bidding for the brand. And I don't even know if those rumors are true now. I have no idea. Um, which meant all the stores would close and someone would just buy the brand. And I thought, okay, well, that's not satisfactory. Someone buying it who couldn't trade through what has been a tricky three months and will be another tricky three months probably. And then someone to vision the company with the values that it started and promote health in the community and support the earth's biodiversity. So Brian and I were sitting on the sofa looking at each other and he said, whose are the safest towns for the business? And do you feel a responsibility to Planet Organic? And I said, ours. And yes, I do. And I said, I can't do this without you. Are you in? And he said, I'm in. And he said, are you in? And I said, I'm in, <laughs> in a tiny voice. So this was the Friday morning. So I called the administrator and I said, look, I'm sure you've heard this a million times before. I know we missed the deadline, but can we put a bid in? And he said, you have an hour. So it was, that was insane, trying to get lawyers, trying to get the bid in, trying to fill in all the paperwork, and we did it. But then it was another two weeks of crazy, of people dropping in, people coming out, someone else coming in. And we didn't actually know until the very end. It was the, um, it was Monday, April 24th. So it was now a month of this insane, every day something crazy going on. And there was another bidder who put a bid in and we were told final bids it in it too. And then the administrator emailed at 2.20 and said best and final offers by 3.15 because the banks close at three. They said the money has to be in and you have to submit a new bid. And we had been told that we were outbid, but we didn't know if anything, we didn't know what was true at that point. And by now the price had dropped. So 35 million valuation in December, because of people coming and going, it was now looking like we had offered 720, 720,000. I now know the other bidder was at 750. So when it said it was last in final offers and we didn't know any of this, we bumped it up to 810. And he held at 750. So at 12 past four, the administrator called on my mobile and said, good news, we've accepted your offer. And I yelled, hallelujah. And then we looked at each other like, oh my God, <laughs> hold on or don't hold on, enjoy the ride. So it was just, it was an insane month and we just turned our lives completely upside down. You bought the business back for 810,000 pounds. Is that, um, did you have to get a consortium for that? Is it just you two and you're the only owners? Did you have a group of merry men with you? We have um, merry men. So we have a the, a main investor who's an old family friend, an old friend of ours. And then we've put a little um, consortium of friends and family, many of whom had lost, had just lost the money who want to come in again. And there's, there's you know, working capital on top of that. But it was just so bizarre to me that it's like the universe said, here, have it back. <laughs> you know, you've, you've had this time away. Here it is. I mean, I really feel it was a miracle. It was, it's just that this happened. And I have to say for the first couple of weeks, I was wandering around in a daze thinking, I can't believe this has happened. I, I just can't believe this has 
come full circle for me. How did it feel the moment that he called and and you realized you'd won? Like, was it um, empowering, stressful? It wasn't stressful. It was it was exhilarating and a huge shock. You know, we had no idea we could have been outbid, and and not knowing until the last second was just so weird. But that really is indicative of the whole process, and. What was interesting, if I may speak about this for a moment, is just before this happened at the end of March, so Brian and I started, a, for want of a better description, a spiritual journey that's a seven-year journey last January, so just over a year ago. And the kind of, there's a lesson on Sunday night that we do. The lesson, just be, the few lessons before that had kind of been along the lines of, um, you are, you're not in control. And I know this intellectually, okay? You're not in control. You need to be in surrender. The universe unfolds in a meaningful way. You need to trust your your intuition, your small, still voice, whatever you call that, your heart. Um, and you are powerless, really. You have to align your mind and heart and body in right action. You have to do what feels right, but you can't, you know, you can't even make your fingernails grow. You don't have to get up and make the sun rise. The universe is highly beautiful and perfect and intelligent. So I was in that space when we started on this crazy journey. So through that whole month, I wasn't stressed. I was in complete surrender. I was living what I had known as an intellectual construct of trust the process. And that for me was the miracle because I wasn't, I'd get to the end of the day exhausted, having worked like stink. It wasn't, you don't sit there and wait for the universe to deliver things. You work hard. But I was doing that in a place of trust and calm and ease. And I've carried on with that. And that for me is the real miracle because I also don't think I could go back into the business still running my other business without that feeling of trust. I guess, for want of a better way of putting it, Planet Organic was an excellent idea with really good execution, but it never lived up to its promise. Mm. Um, I'm sure when you have, you talk about your values, but you also would have had a vision, that vision's really been stunted, right? Because of the events that unfolded. And I think there's a really interesting lesson in here in your story, in so many founder stories, I'm sure you know, which is, um, pick your partners wisely. Like you can have all the passion and all the ideas you want, yeah. but if you have a toxic partner, a complicated investor, um, basically people competing for your energy and fighting against you because they have competing ideas about what it should be. But yeah. you as the founder ultimately entered into those agreements as a mature adult, a responsible adult who makes mistakes um, and I've done it myself, as you know, uh, the only person to blame is technically yourself. All you can do is learn through those mistakes and try to rectify them, live with them, reflect on them and not do them again. So this has obviously been part of the story of Planet Organic. And now you have the rarest of stories to write, which is a rebirth. Mm. So the main question is like, what are you doing differently? How are you going to make sure Planet Organic fulfills the vision that you set out originally? Mm. 
Well, first, I'd like to comment on what you just said about mistakes. And I agree with you. There's everything is learning. So failure and success, however you coin it, is about learning. And what's really interesting for me is the mistakes, the clangers I've made in my life were when I trusted my head and not my heart. So the choice of partners and shareholders was when, and now this is a red flag for me, when I hear myself thinking, it'll be okay, run. No. And I coach a lot of people who are looking for investment. And I say, if you're thinking that, don't, please don't. You have to know in your heart that this is the right partner. And it's the times that I've not trusted that intuition that I've messed up. And it's fine. I've lived with a mistake and I've learned from the mistake. It's fine. But when I look back, that is such a key message. And that is one of the key messages that I and a lot of other people talk about now, which is great. So going forward, well, it's, I don't have obstreperous shareholders. And that really was what made the planet journey so difficult, being undermined all the time and being questioned. And what's interesting is I, I know Planet Organic, you know, Planet Organic, I birthed that company. And if you're not an entrepreneur, you don't know what that means. And if you are an entrepreneur, you know what that means because you you birth everything about it. You know, I created every nuance and every value and every aspect. And then people took that and tried to go somewhere else with it. So now that I'm back, I'm revisioning because it's not, you know, it has moved on and the world has moved on and there are other stakeholders in Planet Organic. So it's revisioning that and I'm going to be doing that revisioning work with a broader team now. But I think for me, the key difference is who I am, which is a person who trusts myself, who trusts the universe, whatever you call that. People call it lots of different things. And I trust that it will work out. And what that does for me, and it may work out in ways I cannot imagine, you know, it may mean all kinds of things, but it means I won't suffer stress along the way, that I'm on the journey as long as it's fun. Because if it's not fun, there's really no point doing it. I'd love to know, you know, obviously this might reflect particularly for women. This might reflect particularly for women who are put into a similar situation to you, being pushed out during pregnancy. Unlawful though it is, people find ways to make this stuff happen. So what's some practical advice you have for, whether it's women and this happens to, or just general people who are being bullied out of their companies or senior roles um, and not being treated fairly? Like, What are some things you wish you'd have done at the time? What are some things that you think people can do to believe in themselves? It's interesting because I um, actually, of course, inadvertently end up coaching about this. I have a client at the moment who's separating from a business partner because it's because I have experience. And I always say when I'm working with them, I wish I'd had someone coaching me through this at the time. So the first thing is if you go into a partnership with someone, get really good legal advice. You know, in my first partnership, if I hadn't had the legal advice and the documentation I had, I would have lost Planet Organic in 99. So that was the first time. 
And then when you, if you come to a point where it's not working, get legal advice and get support, get someone to support you on that journey. Cause there are so many things you need to be thinking about such as even if you're being pushed out, there can be a win for you. So what does success look like for you and defining that? And then the thing I think is really, really important, and this has showed me through many tough times, is who do you want to be through this process? So I've gone through really nasty um, negotiations with people. And my I was always very aware of who I was being while I was being very strategic. Also, what was my being while I was doing? And my motto, as you've heard me say before, is grace and dignity at all times, because I never wanted to be embarrassed or ashamed about how I had behaved. And I can get down and dirty. You know, I come from a family of fighters, but I thought, okay, I'm not going to be that person. I want to, you know, go through this in a, in as, to navigate through these difficult times in as beautiful a way as possible so that on the other side, I'm just moving, you know, forward in the same way. And I think that's really important because it's easy to either get nasty or to feel sorry for yourself and to go into, oh, poor me, why is this happening? Well, stuff happens, karma happens, you know, I don't know. But your agency is not in controlling what happens to you. It's in how you respond. How you respond and who you are is all you have. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, get great legal advice, which is great advice. But you also mentioned pick the right partner. Now, you, if I remember correctly, met your partner, Brian, on the bus um, after a night out in London. You know, you don't really know in those moments who you fall in love with, who you're going to meet. Um, but that's obviously a great story. And then him becoming your business partner. Well, you know, that's all lovely. But for most people who have business partners, it's not their romantic partner, too. So do you have advice for how to find a partner that you can trust? Mm. Well, having had a business partner that didn't work out, um, I think it's, I know there are different ways to meet business partners. There are forums, there are gatherings of people. I think it's easier now than it used to be. You can, you know, there are groups you can join to meet business partners, but I think it goes back to the same thing of trust your gut. So when I met my first business partner, there was a red flag, which I ignored. Okay. When I met Brian, my romantic partner, I knew in my heart. So it's, it's interview them, you know, you want to know their EQ. You want to know their IQ. You want to know their emotional intelligence. Do they share the same values? Um, try and get to know them as intimately as you can. And that takes courage because, well, we live in England and y'all are generally reserved. So you've got to kind of open yourself up in order to get someone else to open up to you and get to know them. And it may be you have to do something, you know, like it's not just a cup of tea, is it? You know, it may be a wild half day together or something to get to know them if they aren't an old friend. I know great business partners who've been friends since they were kids or since university or something like that. But I think you need to create instances so you can get to know them really well. But then it really is, I think you know so quickly when you meet someone, you have that feeling in your gut that says yes, no. 
and then your head starts to screw things up. It's a great point. I think there's so many different skills that people optimize towards in a business partnership. And I think that's wrong. Every skill can be learned. You know, the way that I think about employing people, actually, I believe every skill can be learned. And the only thing that I really make sure that I hire for is a good attitude. You cannot force someone to have a good attitude. You cannot make someone have a good attitude, growth mindset, all these things. You just can't make someone do any of it. But you can make people learn a new skill. If they've got a great attitude and you show them where the next job opportunity is, etc. you don't have to spell it out for them. They will figure it out with their great attitude and they'll learn the new skill. Similarly with a business partner. Yes. So I've always said, I don't believe that finding a business partner that's around, you know, uh, he's an accountant and I've got legal skills, therefore we work well together, or I'm the creative, He's the, that's irrelevant. All that matters in an ideal world is can you trust this person? Yeah. You can't force trust. You can't make trust. You can't learn trust. You can build trust. The reality is you have to show up with vulnerability and say, I'm willing to put myself out there openly and be someone who tries to build trust with you by showing you my flaws, showing you my weaknesses and demonstrating that I'm here to learn and I'm here to be open and I'm here to try. And hopefully that's reciprocal. And that's a great way to build trust. Um, otherwise, you know, the rest sort of doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you said that because I talk about trust all the time. Trust yourself, trust the universe, trust the people. And when I started Planet, and this is what I'm really moving back to, I started what I call the sacred triangle of relationships, which is important in all important relationships, personal and professional. And it's trust and respect underpinned by good communication. And I can do a day's lecture on that because good communication itself is a whole good pile of stuff. But trust and respect are essential. So last insight from you, because we do need to wrap up. You're a busy lady. You've got an empire to build, rebuild. <laughs> so I'd love to know, like, in your experience, like, how do you think we can learn to listen to our gut and heart more? How do you think we, that we can learn to trust more? What are some of the intuitive things that you think we can learn from your way of life? Hmm. Well, I don't know if I can do that in a minute, but I think there are some key pointers where if you're in anxiety or stress, you're not trusting. And generally, you're what I call gripping. So you're gripping onto something, a thought, a situation, a fear, which is creating dis-ease in your body or stress or anxiety. Letting that go is what enables you to trust. Now, letting that go is as easy or as difficult as you make it. And sometimes we need to create distance between the thought or the situation so that we can let it drop. It's, it's simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. <laughs> and the other thing to remember is fear is the ego. So fear is not, not usually in present time. When people are in fear, they're usually negative in negative fantasizing about the future. <gasps> if this is going to happen, or if I have that meeting, or if this happens and that's going to happen, the reality of today in this moment is you're safe and there's nothing to be afraid of, but we get into fear and that creates anxiety in the present. So there's, this is all about self-awareness. So I always say, know yourself, be yourself, 
and manage yourself. And this is the manage yourself part where you need to know the patterns that you go to and know how to pull yourself out of them and go back into trust and relaxed state so that you're in surrender and you're not in stress. And the other very useful thing, which I know so many people are talking about, but I don't think it can be talked about too often is breathing. When we're in fear and we go into the amygdala, we have shallow breathing. And if you even can pause and close your eyes and just breathe into the lower abdomen for a few moments, you bring yourself back into the frontal cortex, you relax your body, and you come out of that imagined state of fear, which isn't usually real. Amazing. Renee, final question. What is the big plan for Planet Organic? Where are you looking to take it? Okay. I have my 28-year-old back, which is really sweet because she's in her Saturn return now. So this is a big change. I thought that was quite ironic. Big <laughs> I have a good old Saturn return <laughs> tattoo that I've just pointed uh, to Renee on my on my arm. Nice tat. Um, so back to organic because they'd moved away from organic towards planet. I'm not really sure what that meant, but we're back to organic. We're back to loving and looking after our team who have not been loved in that way. So we're looking at the trainings we've always done, bronze, silver, and gold, farm walks, supplier trainings, professional development, which had stopped. We're looking at changing the catalog to more organic, to a lively catalog. You know, we're known for new brands and exciting brands doing all of that as well, but really back to the focus on organic and sustainability. Um, and for now, it is holding steady. You know, we have come through a difficult time. We are still in recovery. And I'm so I'm saying no expansion, you know, slowly, slowly revisioning. What I want to do is look at everything we've done or are doing and say, do we want to do this? Or do we want to re-envision this? Because some things people just have been doing for a long time, they don't make sense anymore. Other things just don't fit anymore. And getting back to those core values as well. And that may be a year of stabilizing, harmonizing, rebuilding, working with a team, working with customers. And then all bets are off. Then I have a lot of ideas and I don't know. But I've said for now, no expansion, no crazy ideas. But once we've polished it up and made it beautiful again, I have all kinds of ideas, but I'm not going to crystal ball gaze just yet. Thanks, Renee. Thank you for drawing back the curtain and telling us your story. Thanks, Dan. If you enjoyed this episode, hit follow or subscribe and leave us a review. Go on, tell us what you think. We literally read every single one of them and really appreciate your support. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top there will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta, and we'll be back next week with more lessons for entrepreneurs and leaders. The episode was produced by Ruth Edwards and Sol Harris and all brought together by our head of podcast, Will Stolomon. See you next week.